Thank you. Please do take your seats. If you have a copy of the scriptures with you this morning, would you look up Psalm 24, beginning at verse 1. Psalm 24, beginning at verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their saviour. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, you gates. Be you lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is he, this King of glory? The Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. Just over a week ago, the pastors and Claire Good and Ashley Russell went away to a conference in Peterborough. It was a conference designed to help us develop as leaders, but also to help us develop as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is what we're called to be. On Tuesday of that uh, three-day week, one of the speakers talked about how he'd been through a very, very tough period in his life. And it had forced him to ask a question about life in general that, if you'll permit me, I would like to ask you this morning. A question I've asked myself, a question which I think is really, really important, and it's this. What do I need to change today in order to thrive tomorrow? What do I need to change today in order to thrive tomorrow? His question was really about his health. Not just about his health, about his diet, about exercise, about how he spent time online, about what he watched online, about the whole areas of life. What do I need to change today that will help me thrive and develop and grow tomorrow? But if you'll permit me this morning, I want to ask this question particularly regarding the way we use what we call our money. What do you need to change today that will enable you to thrive tomorrow as far as your finances are concerned? I want you to hold that question in your mind for a few moments as we start to look at the first two verses of this passage, Psalm 24. It's been set to music. I I used to love it. There was a choir that visited our church in Sussex every year, and they often sang a song based on Psalm 24. And I loved the song as a young boy. I loved it when they sang this one because of the various parts that came in and the drama of the way the psalm was sung. It's been set to music many times. It's been used to pray for the nations. Lift up your Heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, that the King of glory might come in. And people have used it to pray, God, let your glory come into the nations. And then people have used it for warfare, spiritual warfare. Who is he? He is the Lord mighty in battle. It's a very flexible psalm. In many respects, it's a regal psalm. 
There are commentators, many of them, who believe that it was written for the moment when the Ark of the Covenant was carried from the house of Obed-Edom up to Jerusalem again and placed in a tent in the city of Jerusalem that David had created for it. It's a regal psalm, a psalm of celebration, a psalm of rejoicing, a psalm of bringing home the very presence of God into the nation of Israel. It's a great, great psalm. But it's not just a psalm about one moment in history. It had an application then, and it has an application for us still today. David and his, new people, his people knew that God enthroned himself, God presenced himself between the two cherubim that had been modelled and were on top of the Ark of the Covenant. The gold-covered cherubim, the gold-covered Ark, God presenced himself between the two cherubim, and the people of Israel knew that. David knew it. And they thought very much of him as their God and their God only. And they believed that Jerusalem was a holy city. Perhaps it is. And they, they believed that God loved it in a special way. I think he probably does. But David also wants us and them to understand something from this psalm, an important truth. He spells it out in the first verse. Listen, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. In other words, the whole earth rightly belongs to God. Not just one nation or, or one particular geographical location. The whole earth rightly belongs to God. The world and all who live in it. In other words, all people rightly belong to the God of the universe. By rights, they should all be his. Why? We read that in verse 2. For he founded it upon the seas, and he established it upon the waters. So in the words of the creed, which we very rarely say, we believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. The earth is the Lord's, and everything in it is David's declaration. But it needs to be ours as well. So let me explain for a moment what that means. In the words of an American writer called Art Rayner, he said this, God owns everything and we get to manage it for him. The responsible management of these God-given resources is called stewardship. God owns everything. We get to manage it for him and the responsible management of all God's resources is called stewardship. And friends, I want to say to you this morning, in no area of life do we need to steward more carefully than in the area of our personal finances. There are some people who believe that we shouldn't talk about such things on Sundays, that we shouldn't highlight this kind of thing. It's not what we're here for. Something more devotional would be important. But the Word of God tells us we're to preach the whole counsel of God. There are 2,350 verses in the Bible about money. Almost twice as many as there are about faith and prayer put together. One-sixth of the Gospels, including one in every three of the parables that Jesus told, is around the whole area of stewardship, of how we deal with the resources, including money, that God has given us. Somebody once said about Jesus, Jesus was not a fundraiser, but he talked about money matters because money matters. He talked about money matters because money matters. And it matters because we all need it in one way or another. And it matters because whether we have loads of money, like Pastor Andy Lenton, or very little, like me, 
whether we have lots of money or very little, the way we view money can dominate and control our lives. Whether we're rich or poor, the Bible tells us we can be totally dominated by our attitude to money. And I realized this morning I risk being patronizing. I don't want to be. I'm not making any kind of judgment whatsoever. But I want to come back to this question in the context of our stewardship, in the context of my stewardship. What do we need to change today in order to thrive tomorrow? Let me say that I understand how tough life can be. Joking apart, I want you to know that there have been times when my wife and I in the past have fancied a newspaper and a Kit Kat and we couldn't afford it because our budget was so tight. So if that's you this morning, I know what that feels like. Many people who get into debt, for example, are not foolish and they're not reckless in any way. There may be high earners who are suddenly hit by redundancy and they find it much harder than they expected to get the next job, but all the time they're searching but not earning, the bills are still coming in. My friend Chris was like that. He was offered a tremendous opportunity to take redundancy. It was a superb package. He'd almost have been foolish not to do it. And he thought about it, prayed about it, and he did it. But then finding a job afterwards was increasingly difficult. It took him a long time to recover from that. There may be people who are perfectly fit. Or suddenly your wife or your husband or even the person themselves, becomes really, really ill and cannot work, and yet the bills keep coming in, whether they're ill or whether they are well. It may be that there's a problem in the marital home. It may be that there's an unforeseen emergency which costs a great deal of money, and the outcome is that our finances are dealt such a blow that it seems they're never going to recover from what we went through at that moment. No one is to blame for these situations. No one should ever be judged when these things happen. But we do have to steward these times. And so in all these circumstances, whether things are easy for you or whether things are really very hard right now, I would urge you to think about the key question. What do I need to change today in order to thrive tomorrow? And for this, I think we do need to turn to Scripture. And I'd like to give you four principles. They won't make you rich, but they might help in the situation that you're in today. Here's the first one. It's the principle of ownership. We've already seen it in the words of Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. In Genesis 1 and 28, we read about Adam and Eve that God says to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. It's the original call to stewarding God's resources. This verse theologians call the cultural mandate and it should impact our thinking. May I say this to you very respectfully this morning? You should be concerned about global warming. This earth belongs to God. You should be concerned about the amount of plastic that's in the sea or the amount of litter that's around our city. This earth belongs to God. You should be concerned about the chemicals that go into your food or the chemicals that go into the land right across our nation. We should be concerned because this earth belongs to God and not to us. We are charged with stewarding it. 
and looking after it. In Psalm 50, verses 10 and 11, God utters some words that we know so very well. For every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills is mine. And then into verse 11, every bird in the mountains and every insect is mine. Some of you are saying, you're welcome to them, Lord. <laughs> every insect is mine. That's detail, isn't it? And we're really good at praying those words when we need something from God. We remember singing this chorus from many years ago. He, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the gold in every mine we used to sing. And, and so when we come to pray for a financial need for the church, or we say, Lord, you own the cattle on a thousand hills, you can provide it. But friends, we sometimes face a real danger. We say, Lord, you own the cattle on a thousand hills, but what's in my wallet? That's mine. Lord, you own all the gold and all the mines, but what's in my bank account? Oh, that's a different matter. I'll decide where that goes. If we're going to live as good stewards of what is actually God's, the principle of God's ownership needs to be lived out in our hearts and lives. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, points out, every faculty you have, your power of thinking or of moving your limbs is given to you by God. If you devoted every minute of your whole life exclusively to his service, you could not give him anything that was not, in a sense, his already. It's tough for us to grasp, but it's a fundamental truth for a Jesus follower. Paul writes to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, to remind them and us that we are not our own. We were bought with a price. Friends, the principle of ownership is important. This earth belongs to God, the world, and all who live in it. Then secondly, the principle is that we have responsibility. We've touched on it already, but let me sum it up in the, right, the words of a writer called Bill Peel. This is what he wrote. Owners have rights, stewards have responsibilities. I like that. Owners have rights. Stewards have responsibilities. We've often said that we live in a world that doesn't want to take responsibility for its actions. We see that in all kinds of areas of life. We see it particularly in the area of health in our own country as well as in other countries. But the responsible management of God's resources is called good stewardship. Sometimes, because we live in the West, we struggle with something called entitlement. We think to ourselves, well, I'm at, I'm at such and such an age. I think about myself. I'm at 35. <laughs> and the other people who are 35, they've got a bigger house than me, so I really I should be entitled. Let's just stretch the mortgage to the limit, because I'm entitled to that too. Or they drive a bigger car than me, so I'm going to go and get some finance, and I'm going to have a bigger car. Why shouldn't I really enjoy that new car smell and having something that's even better than what I've got now? And we have this sense of entitlement that somehow, because we've reached a certain age or position in life or level of experience, we're entitled to something more. The problem with entitlement is it can lead us into debt if we're not very careful. Proverbs 22 verse 7 reads this. The borrower is slave to the lender. The borrower is slave to the lender. 
And I guess at some point or other, we all know what that feels like. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is tested by the devil in the desert. And there comes a moment where Satan takes him to a high point and says to him, why don't you just throw yourself off here? Because it's written in the word that if you throw yourself off, he will send his angels and they'll have charge over you and you will not dash your foot on the rocks. Let's test it, says Satan, and let's see if God does what he says he will do. And Jesus says, it is written, you shall not test the Lord your God. Friends, it's very easy for us to test God in the area of our finances. We sign the form, we make the deal. We think to ourselves, if this goes wrong, we'll just pray and God will get us out of it. I want you to know this morning, however much he loves you, that isn't the way it works. God isn't just a safety net to get us out of bad decisions. He wants to be involved in those decisions in the first place. He wants us to use wisdom. He wants us to be with him, listening to him about the choices that we make. Luke 14, Jesus says, how many of you, if you're going to build a tower, you sit down first and work out if you can afford it. See, we have an example in Jesus. There's a moment somewhere on the road to Jerusalem. He's walking with his disciples and uh, I don't know what happens. Maybe it's a grassy bank or something like that. And they sit down on the grassy bank and the mother of James and John kneels down in front of him and she says, you know, my boys, Lord, they are lovely boys. I know that you like my boys. I love my boys. Here's my request. Could my boys sit one on the right and one on the left when you come into your kingdom? And there is uproar. The disciples are furious about it. There's real trouble ahead. But Jesus uses it as a moment for teaching. And he stops and he says about himself this. He says, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There is no sense of entitlement in the King of Kings. He's not demanding what's due his. Instead, he has a heart to do his Father's will and a heart to serve others. That's the heart of a follower of Jesus as well. So Jesus' followers need to be very careful that a sense of entitlement does not affect their finances. Here's the bottom line. Owners have rights. Stewards have responsibilities. We're stewards. Let's be responsible with the resources God has given us. Thirdly is the principle of accountability. Jesus told several parables about the kingdom in his teaching, which tell us that we'll be accountable. Some of them are parables about life. Some are parables drawn from nature. Let me just remind you of a couple. Luke 6, Jesus teaches us that the fig tree is not known by its outward show of leaves, but by its fruit. In other words, it's accountable for the amount of fruit it produces, not what it looks like externally. In Luke 16, Jesus tells the story of the rich man and Lazarus. You might be familiar with it. Both of them die. Lazarus goes to what the Jewish people called the bosom of Abraham at the time. And the rich man goes into the flames. And they can kind of see each other. And the point of the story is not to tell us what hell is like. The point of the story is to ask us a question. What do you do for the poor man who sits at your gate? You're accountable for him. For the nation of Zimbabwe and the nation of Malawi and all the other things that are going on in the world. We have a responsibility in those areas. Matthew 25, we have the parable of the talents. Friends, we're all stewards of the resources God gave us. These resources include our time and our money and our homes and our health and the spiritual gifts that God may have given us. In all these areas, we'll give an account. 
will give an account to a God who is loving, more loving than you can ever begin to imagine. We'll give an account to a God who has already forgiven. We'll give an account to a God who is greater in mercy than we can either think or imagine. But we will give an account to the owner in those days. In a world where so many people have so little to eat or drink or wear and nothing to share, we must remember that we will give account for our use of God's Resources. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. We do not have the right of control over our property or over ourselves. It's his, not ours. Finally, there's the principle of reward. In Colossians 3, Paul writes these words. Whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Wow. We're going to get a reward. The Bible shows us there's a reward for us that comes in the next life. And it is this reward, not simply the rewards and comforts of now, that we should be working for. There is nothing wrong with having nice things in your home. There is nothing wrong with having a nice home. I'm not speaking against that. I'm talking about how we manage our resources and how much is available to serve the kingdom of God and to serve others. You see, if we're not careful, even as Christians, our ambitions and our motives and our deepest desires are exactly as that, the same as the people we work with or live amongst who don't have Jesus Christ as Lord. Exactly the same. We have the same dreams, the same daydreams, the same ambitions. And very frequently, if we're not careful, they're all about material things. It's why we don't preach here the um, prosperity gospel. We believe that God prospers people. We don't preach the prosperity gospel because time and time and time again, its rewards are stated in terms of what we get now materially. I prayed and trusted God and I got a new car. I prayed and trusted God, I got a bigger house. I prayed and trusted God, I got a better job with an even bigger income. Big deal. When is someone going to tell me they prayed and trusted God and God prospered them in winning the lost? When is someone going to tell me that they believe in the prosperity gospel because when they sought God with all their heart, soul, mind, he gave them gifts of the Spirit which they were able to transfer into the lives of other people and see God's kingdom come in greater measure. Some of those folk friends are as obsessed with the material as people who make no claim to believe in God whatsoever. We have to be really careful about where our motivation lies. Which begs the question, what do I need to change today in order to thrive tomorrow? As I close, let me say this. If money and finance are a real issue today for you right now, there are people who are on your side. There are people who are willing to help. However financially astute you are, may I make the following suggestions, which I hope will help you decide today to do something that will make you thrive tomorrow. Don't ignore the problem. It's the worst thing you can do. Do not throw away the bills. Don't put them in the bin. Decide what you need to do in order to thrive tomorrow. Please don't leave your decision-making till it's too late. Please, please, Please get good advice from CAP or another money uh, agency, debt agency. You can get in touch by looking them up online. 
then you can phone them. You can explain your issue. They can give you advice. They can tell you where to get advice, what to say to the people that you owe money to, all those kind of things. Friends, please, in the name of Jesus, make the phone call. Take the advice. Do what it takes, but make it right. And don't delay. Think about the practical changes you can make. Maybe none of us would want to do this, but could you reduce your debt by downsizing your house? You could reduce your stress, maybe, by doing that. Could you reduce the number of hours you have to work away from your wife or your husband or your family by doing this? It's not failure. It's good stewardship of the resources that belong to God. Could you reduce your outgoings by downsizing the model of your car. However lovely your car is, the moment you drove it out of the showroom, it lost more than 10%. Sorry about that. I just, you know, I have to be honest with you this morning. And it might look beautiful. I think the sun's coming out now, and it'll be glistening in the rain in the car park. Can I tell you, every moment that it's out there, it's losing you money. Sorry. It's not the best thing you wanted to hear on Sunday morning. You wanted something a bit more encouraging than that. It's just the truth, isn't it? Sometimes we forget how money disappears. Could you decide to do your food shopping using cash and not a card? So you take out amount of cash, and when you've spent it, you've spent it. There isn't a bottomless pit that becomes a debt. Just a practical tip to help you. Could you take the cap money course? It's not for people in massive debt, but for anyone who wants good advice about how to run their finances. Both my sons, Alex and Sam, have done it. My wife, Mel, has done the course. Every one of them says, it's brilliant. Do it. Sign up for it. It will bless you and encourage you. And I, I realize I could sound really patronizing this morning, and I don't want to do that in any way. But let me ask you the question again. What do we need to do today in financial terms that will enable us to thrive tomorrow? Do we need to spend a couple or three years of making it a bit tough for ourselves in order that the years that lie beyond that will be better than we might have imagined? Friends, this earth belongs to God, the world and all who live in it. For he founded it upon the waters and he established it upon the sea. So may God help us to be good stewards of his property. Amen. Shall we shall we worship the Lord together?